I don't know if you saw that poll. Uh, they, they did a poll uh, amongst people and asked a question about how they were doing in light of the pandemic. And it was fascinating to see that the, the people who gathered for worship uh, every week have done well. As a matter of fact, they, they say that they actually have grown in hope in 2020. And, and the reason for that is because those of us who believe in Christ Jesus, who've been filled with the Spirit of God to the glory of the Father's name, we can thrive anywhere. And what we're going to learn in 2021 is how to thrive. We're going to talk about what it means to be thriving in Christ. The, the, the world we're going to enter into in 2021 is different. It will be different socially, politically, and folks just know it. There, there are going to be changes. There have been changes in the way people think and feel. And, and even with this vaccination, there have been now changes in people's lives from COVID-19 that are going to alter the way they experience life. But those of us who walk in the light of life, we can thrive. And what we're going to learn each week is how we can do that. Cannot wait to jump into those series. But there are three weeks left in this year. And this year we're talking about coming and seeing what God can do. And God is changing lives. Again, we're seeing so many come to saving faith. We're seeing so many return to faith. We're seeing so many encouraged in the faith, even as they deal with difficulties of addictions and relational uh, problems. Uh, finding counseling and the, the, the truth of God's word. I do want to remind you that we will continue to receive the gift for Christ. And I know some of you have been questioning that because, of course, there are limits to what we can do overseas. But do not forget, so much of what we give in the gift for Christ also goes locally and nationally. And although there will be seven other languages other than English preached in this building today on this campus, there are 47 other known languages in our city within five miles of my voice right now that need the gospel to go to them. And we believe we have an insight into how we might be able to do that this year. And we'll be sharing more of that with you in the, in the beginning of this year. But again, the gift for Christ funds so much of that very important work that is expensive and, and must be done. What we're learning right now, this last series of, the, of this year, is to see the light because the light has come. And the coming of the light of, of, of God has transformed everything. And, you know, in years past, I would typically say to you, now look, don't get distracted with, with all the lights and all the family traditions and that sort of thing. What I say to you this year is, don't get distracted with the lack of family traditions. Talking to some folks today, uh, that, that like us, have had to alter their plans and they're not going to see family that they would usually see. And, and, and we were talking about this ridiculous headline that I, I saw uh, last week that supposedly there was going to be a politician who was going to cancel Christmas. Just heads up, Jesus Christ has come. You can't cancel that. All right? Praise God. You can't cancel Christmas because Christ has already come. Now, the way we celebrate him, maybe it's going to be different this year, but it doesn't change the fact that we celebrate him. And he's just as good as he's ever been. And, and what we're going to learn today is that the Christ who has come, who is the light of the world, he is victorious. He is victorious over darkness. He is the victor. And you know what the greatest victories are in the world? You know the victories that have made the most money in movies are the ones that depict a, a victory that came out of the, the, the sureness of a defeat. I mean, take the movie Star Wars. Who doesn't like Star Wars? And if you haven't seen it, you might think about it. It's good. It's not God, but it's good. 
You know, here it is. They're down to the last minute. The Death Star's about to kill everybody. And, and Luke Skywalker's going. And Darth Vader's going to take him out. And Han Solo shows up. Takes him out. Victory. And who can forget? Rocky. Took out Apollo Creed. Took out Clubber Lang. Yeah. <laughs> took out that Russian, whatever his name was. Tommy the Machine Gun. Because... He would hear this voice, rock, get up, right? Been knocked out silly so many times. Obviously, in modern day boxing, he would have been, he would have been taken out and taken home, but not Rocky. He hears the voice, get up, rock. And he gets up and oh, wins. And don't get me crying, but Rudy. Mm. Remember, he was going to quit and his mentor tells him you're five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing. Now get back out there and almost kill yourself to play one play. And he did. And he gets a tackle in the Georgia Tech game and they carry him off and there was victory. He looked like it was all over. Well, the greatest victory, the greatest victory that has ever been won has been won by Jesus Christ. Because it was, it was looking bad. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, as we talked about last week, darkness now rules this planet. And we live in a broken, fallen world. And every single one of us are born with an inclination to desire darkness. We have a sin nature. So not only is the world dark, but we have a desire to, to be in that darkness. And it seemed that those who were responsible to bring the Messiah into the world didn't have a chance because they were overrun with the Romans. And yet... Just as the prophet said in Isaiah 9, as we looked at last week, Jesus came. The light of the world has come. Born of a virgin, began his ministry in Capernaum, did everything that God said he would do. Friends, the light has come. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. We celebrate the fact that God kept his promise and God has come. And because God has come, we now have a victory. And our text today shows us what happened and, and what it means that Jesus has entered the world. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to John chapter one. Let's go to the gospel of John. Our verses are verses four and five. This is a part of the beautiful prologue of the gospel of John. John chapter one, we're in verses four and five. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. John 1, beginning in verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. These verses, again, are found in this prologue. So if you look in your Bibles, verses 1 through 18 is basically this beautiful poetic prologue that John provides for his gospel. John wrote this gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit to tell us about the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King who the prophets promised, who would come to be the light of the world and for everyone who believes brings salvation. Now, this beautiful, beautiful beginning, it points us back to something. Look at verse one. Look at verse one. Look at those first three words. Does that remind you of another part of the Bible? In the beginning. What does that remind you of? What book of the Bible? 
Genesis, that's right, good, that's right. In the beginning, what God created the heavens and the earth. And so what we have here, what John is doing, he's saying there's a new section of scripture that has begun. Because we know, right, we know the Bible is not a collection of stories or sayings. The, the Bible is a single story that is in how many parts? Four. What are those parts? Let's say it out loud together. They are creation. And so what we see in John 1 in the beginning, the announcement, a new section has begun. The rescue is on. It's happening. This is the beginning of something new, something wonderful. Now look what it says. Again, I'm not preaching from this just to get context of, of, of this light that has come. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now I want you to notice that the the word, word, is capitalized. That is the Greek word logos. Now, I could, I could take an entire day and, and take apart this word academically because, again, the Greeks love this word and it has so much power and meaning. Uh, let me just say this. The word logos, the best way in my mind I hold to it is to understand it is ultimate truth. It is ultimate reality. God is ultimate truth. He is ultimate reality. And he is God. God, ultimate truth, ultimate reality has entered the world. Now note, he was with God. And he was and is God. God has always existed. Before there was time and matter and space, God has always existed completely satisfied within himself. He is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And as Father, Son, and Spirit, he's always been loved. He's, he's always been happy. He's always been fully satisfied. God needs nothing and no one. God does not need us. He already is full of love. He is completely self-sufficient. We are not. We are not self-sufficient. As a matter of fact, if we spend too much time alone, we'll lose our sense of humanity. God made us for something beyond ourselves. We need not only other people, but we need God himself. We need our creator. While our creator does not need us because he's completely satisfied in and of himself, he is love in himself. We need his love. We need his life. And without it, we are always lacking. This God has entered the world. And look what it says in verse three. And, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. And it was spoken. God spoke. He spoke time. He spoke space. And he spoke matter into existence. Again, think back to Genesis one. Where do we get time? In the beginning, God created time. Where did we get space? God created the heavens. Where did we get matter? God created the earth. With a word, he spoke it into reality. This ultimate reality, ultimate truth, spoke into existence, reality and truth, time, space, mattered and entered it. God himself, having spoken it, sustained it, then entered into it, the light of the world has come. And that's what this prologue is telling us. It's telling us a miracle has happened. The rescue is taking place. God himself, who made all things, 
has entered into his own creation to bring a victory. A victory where there seemed to be nothing but defeat. This victory changes everything. This life has come and has done something and is doing something victorious. And that's what our text reveals to us today. So there's four things I want to encourage you to take note about this light. And the first is this. The light is a person to know. The light is a person to know. The light is not an ideology. The light is, is not an idea. It's, it's not... It's not an institution. It's not a philosophy. The light is a person to know. Look in verse four. In him, him, a personal pronoun. Him, a male person. And we talked about how important that is last week according to the promise of the prophets that a man would come and crush the head of Satan. In, in him was life. To know Jesus is to know life. Now, I want you to know, everybody in this room has one of two kinds of life. And I want you to really think about what kind of life you have. There are two kinds of life. There's a dying life and there's eternal life. And you are living in one of those kinds of lives. And you have one of those kinds of life. Now, dying life, what is dying life? Well, dying life is filled with dying hope. Doesn't mean you don't have hope. It means that your hope is based on a created thing that will in time be destroyed or, or dissipated. So again, if your hope is in another human being, if your hope is in something you can earn or own or have, it's a dying hope. Doesn't mean you don't have hope. It just means it's dying. It means you have a dying love. You know, we say traditionally when our, with our, our marriage vows, until death parts us. Well, that love, if, you're having a, if you have a dying life, you have a dying love that dies with the one and the things you love that are going to die. Dying life is filled with dying hope, dying love, dying peace. It's a peace that won't last. And it's a dying reality. This world as we know it is passing away. When he comes, he's going to make all things new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. And only those who enter into this new reality, this eternal reality with eternal life can enjoy it. Everyone else will experience ongoing eternal death because you have a dying life, but that's not the life God wants for you. No, no, the, the, the life that God has and will give is eternal life. What is eternal life filled with? Well, it's filled with eternal hope. It's a hope that, that never ends and grows stronger forever and ever. It's a dying love. It's a love that never ends. For those of us who die in Christ, we enter into eternal love. And all those who have died in Christ, we will be with them in love forever. It is an eternal peace. We have this eternal life that gives eternal hope, eternal love, eternal peace. It's a peace that never ends. It's a peace that grows stronger forever and ever. And it's an eternal reality. It's a blessed state of being that, that we enjoy forever and ever. It, it is a way of life that gives us hope because, again, we know that the best is yet to come. And we gain this eternal life by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. When we repent of sin and the brokenness that it causes, 
we are saved. Romans 10 verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone, not just the smart people, no, 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 I wouldn't be in then. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Salvation provides for us a new life. And this life is very circular. It's very important to understand what this life in Christ looks like. Again, the three circles that we use around here is very helpful to us. This not only explains salvation, it explains the life of a saved person. Because those of us who are in Christ, here's what we know. God's design is not the world we live in right now. We live in a broken world. Why? Because we sinned. Our sin created brokenness. But when we repent and believe the gospel, the good news of what God has done in Christ Jesus, we are able to pursue and recover God's design. And that's the life of a Christian, is that we are constantly pursuing and recovering God's design. And the more we do that, the more we realize that sin is still at work in our flesh. And there's still brokenness to overcome. And so what do we do? We repent and believe the gospel, not for salvation, but for sanctification, to become more like Jesus so that we can pursue and recover God's design. And the more we, we grow in grace, the more we understand God's design and live in obedience to his word, the more we hate sin, the more we, 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 we want to be done with brokenness. So we repent and believe the gospel so that we can pursue. And this is a lifelong existence, constantly becoming more and more of what God died for us to be, what we were created to be, what we were designed to be. And then, of course, in death, we enter into life. I say this all the time, and I think it's very important to remember. For those of us who have repented and believed the gospel, this world is as bad as it gets. For those of you who are you're living in death, you have a dying life, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, this world is as good as it gets for you. All this sickness, all this pain, all this darkness... This is as good as it gets for you. But for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, this is as bad as it gets. And in this life, he goes with us. And in this life, we don't fear death because death has lost its sting. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death. Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory of Jesus over sin and death. That is our life. That removes the sting. There was a father and son that were driving in the summer, and they had their windows down. And a bee flew into the car. And that son, who was allergic to bees panicked. He began to scream and cry and was absolutely terrified and for good reason until his dad reached out and caught the bee and he held it. And he held it for a moment and his son was like, oh, thank you, daddy. Oh, that was so terrible. I'm so glad you did that. And then he released the bee and the boy began to scream, dad, what is wrong with you? Oh my God. He said, son, stop. And he opened up his hand and he showed him the stinger. He said, boy, that bee only has one stinger, and that stinger's in me. And all that bee can do now is buzz around you and try to scare you. Don't you be afraid. 
I've taken the sting out of that bee. And you know what Jesus Christ has done for us? He's taken the sting out of death because he took our death. He took the sting out of it because when he died, remember this, when Christ died, the most painful moment of the cross is when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, he who knew no sin became sin. Our sin was placed on him. The venom of the sting entered into his holy being, but it had no power. Because he's not a, he's, he wasn't allergic to it. it. didn't have the power to cause him the, the, the pain that it would cause us. Instead, because he is God, he took all that sin to hell. He descended into hell. And he brought victory three days later when he was raised. And so now when we die, who believe? Death has lost its sting because that sting has entered into Christ Jesus. And by faith, we have received the benefit of his love and grace. Our sin died with Jesus. Our new life was raised with him. And now all who repent and believe in him in this person, look what, the, what does the text say? Look with me. In him was what? Oh, you're not looking. In him was what? We're a Baptist church. Don't be speaking in tongues. What? what? In him was what? Life. Not death. It is life, eternal life, not dying life. Life eternal in him who came, who took the sting. Let me ask you, has that sting been removed from your life? Have you trusted in what Christ accomplished on that cross? What I'm not asking you is do you believe in God? The devil believes in God. I'm not asking you if you believe intellectually in the idea of Jesus. The devil believes in the idea and the fact of Jesus. Have you repented of your sin and believed in Christ? Can you remember a day or maybe a season when you asked Jesus to forgive you, to enter into your life and for his light to shine through you forever? If so, then you have eternal life. If not, you have dying life. And everything you hope for, and everything that gives you peace, and, and everything that you hold to will be taken. And this world is as good as it gets. Friend, that is no way to live. It's certainly no way to die. While I'm talking here in just a minute, why don't you do this? Why don't you, in the quietness of your heart, God knows your heart, just tell him, God, I've sinned. Please forgive me. I, I want you to take over my life, and I want to live for you. And if you pray that, you need to be baptized. Baptism is crucial. It's very important. We're commanded to do, to do it. It doesn't make us a Christian. I wear a wedding band on my finger. This wedding band does not make me married. It announces that I'm married. And I, and I wear this because you know people are all over me. <laughs> Ain't nothing like a, a, a chubby bald preacher to get somebody stirred up. So I keep this wedding band to let everybody know I am off the market. So, so why are we baptized? Because it announces to everyone, hey, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. Matthew 28, 19, what did Jesus say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to, to obey everything I've commanded you. Remember, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What's the process here? First, you become a disciple of Jesus. How? You repent and believe the gospel. 
You confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you are saved. Having been saved, you're baptized. What does baptism do? It announces who you are. You've been buried with Christ in baptism. Your old life is dead. You've been washed. You're raised to walk in a new life in him. If you have not been baptized, you are not living in obedience to God. We are to believe. We are to be baptized. And then we are to obey all that God commands us in his word. We're to be taught that. And, and it's in learning the word of God as baptized believers that we're able to understand the purpose of God. And that's the second thing I want you to, to, to hold on to and write down. The light is the purpose of life. Without Jesus, you don't have the purpose of life. You have life. It's a dying life. And there's not the divine purpose for which you were created. Look at the verse. And the life was the light of men. God made us for himself and we will never be happy until we have God in our life. Remember, God doesn't need us. God is self-sufficient. We are insufficient in and of ourselves. We can't be alone for for very long without losing it. And and we need more than other broken, sinful human beings. We need God. I love the way St. Augustine said it because God has made us for himself. Our hearts are restless until they rest in him. I remember fighting God because I didn't want to be a pastor. And I cannot tell you the peace of God that came into my life when I was willing to surrender all that I am and basically said, all right, God, you're in charge. I'll be whatever you want me to be. It's very important to understand something. You can never know your specific purpose in life until you're walking in God's general purpose of life. I say it this way. We can never fulfill our specific purpose in life until we are pursuing our general purpose of life in the life. The, the, the purpose of life in the light is a particular way of life. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. It's easy to go to hell. It's easy to live a dying life. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This is the way of Christ. It is a narrow way. If you've repented and believed the gospel and you've obeyed him in baptism, it is now your responsibility to obey his word and remain on the narrow path. Is the rest of the world going to agree with that narrow path? No. Will the world mock you for that narrow path? Yes. Will they tell you that you're on the wrong side of history? Yes. Stay on the path. Now let me warn some of you. Some of you are off the path. Some of you are off the path because you've never repented and believed the gospel. You've not been baptized. Some of you are off the path because you're not honoring Christ with your life and obeying his his law of love. And you're doing your own thing. And that's what I want you to understand. You're doing your own thing, not God's thing. And your thing is not God's purpose. God's thing is God's purpose. And you can never do and fulfill your purpose for which you were made by God until you're walking in the narrow way of Christ. And it is there that you experience the purpose of God. And those who have the purpose of God are are able to help others who gain it. Third thing to note is this. The light is a signal of hope. It's a signal. It calls out. The light shines in the darkness. Darkness and light are always in competition. Physically, 
morally, spiritually. There's always a battle that is taking place. And this light, I want you to notice how it shines. This light shines in the darkness. All the commentators I read, they made such a big deal about this. This verb, to get nerd, it's going to get a little bit of my nerd, nerdness out here. It's a present active indicative verb. And what that means is it not only happens, but it continues to happen. It is a continuous action that never stops. The light shines. It is shining. It will forever shine. That means that, that by God's power, God's light will always shine through his people. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light out of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Friends, the world, your friends, your family, people you know, people you don't know, your enemies, they don't need human help. They need God's help. Every one of us is dealing with God-sized problems. Sickness, loss, pain. We need God. And those who are trying to depend on created things, just know those things won't help. We need God. And the people you know, they need God. Sure, it'd be great if you could help them, but our help, it's like a candle compared to the sun. A candle can barely light a room. The sun, it lights the entire solar system. We need a solar system light. We need the light of the power of God. And when this light is there, it brings healing. It brings hope. And there's hope because the light has come. You know, in ancient warfare, uh, nations would, they would have these, um, they, what do they call them? Fire beacons. And at the first sign of attack, they would light these beacons. I love in the Lord of the Rings, when, when they light this beacon, uh, that one of the guys says, hope is kindled. And here's what we need to know. We need to be the light. We need to light up our lives, light up our homes, light up our neighborhoods, light up everywhere we go to announce hope has been kindled. Christ has come. Help is here and it's not institutional and it's not a program and it's not something human hands can cause and create it is divine it is supernatural it is eternal this god gives eternal life and that is the light of man this is the hope of the world and we get to be a part of it we get to bring this this eternal power through our lives and there's no limit romans 5 20 now the law came to increase the trespass, but where, look at this, where sin increased, grace abound all the more. This was such a comfort to me when I repented and believed in Jesus because I was a great sinner. I haven't been great at many things in my life, but I have always been a great sinner. And where my sin abounded, grace has abounded all the more. Friends, please hear me. Nothing can beat God. God is victorious. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, God's grace is greater than all the sin. And he can heal your heart. He can not just make your life better, he can make it new. He can transform it because his, the victory is sure. And that's the fourth thing I want you to take note of. The light is certain to triumph. It's, gonna, it's a guaranteed win. Look at the, what it says in the last part of verse 5. And the darkness has not overcome it because God cannot be stopped.
God cannot be stopped. Now the evil one has tried. The evil one will continue to try. The evil one is constantly tempting us, condemning us, persecuting us. And yet here we stand. Here we have stood as a family of faith for millennia. Go back and do yourself a favor and read Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the hero's hall of fame. This is how it begins. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation. There's a whole list of the heroes of our spiritual family. We have the testimonies like the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Remember the beating that Jesus took when he, before he died on the cross? What, they, what the Romans realized is 40 lashes would kill a man. So they would give 39 to near death. Look how many times Paul took that beating. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from all these other things, there's the daily pressure on, on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Meanwhile, I'm still in love with all of the churches and I want to see them grow and prosper. And yet he stood. He stood through every trial. He stood through every pain. He, threw, he stood through every dark night because God cannot be stopped. His light is eternal. His life is real. And how do we overcome? It's by the blood of Jesus and our testimony. Look what it says in Revelation 12, beginning in verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him. How? By the blood of the lamb, and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Here's what the devil knows. He has a dying life. It is a dying hope. It is a dying peace. It is a dying reality. And everyone who lives in his darkness will remain in it forever. Christ offers us the light of life. He is a person we receive into our life. It is a hope that never ends. It is a plan that cannot be defeated. It is a light that always shines. There's only one way this light can be defeated for you. That's if you won't receive it. If you will not receive Christ, you're lost. You will lose everything. How else is the darkness, how else does the light not shine? If we who are in Christ refuse to tell about it, if we hide it at school, if we hide it at work, if we don't let our homes and our neighbors and every generation be impacted by the hope of Jesus in our life. Friends, that only happens on the narrow way. It doesn't happen with perfect people. It happens with saved people who are learning to trust and love the Lord. Is that you? 
Have you trusted him? Are you trusting him? Let's pray. Father God, I can't help but know in this room right now, there are some who are experiencing dying life and they have no hope. But I pray God that you would by your grace enable them to believe, to repent and believe and be saved. And I pray that they would be baptized. And I pray that they would walk in obedience to your word. God, I pray for your children, those who are children of the light. God, forgive us because we toy about in the darkness and we don't tell of what you've done. God, give us a faith that is so real that it permeates our conversations. It causes us to pray. It empowers us to love. For your glory and your honor, revive us, God. Revive this church. Revive our souls with the ignition of this great light and bring an awakening to this land. For your glory and the blessing of many. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen.